Right, good morning everyone. It's great to be with you. It's my joy to share God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Ant and I'm a pastor here and really have a wonderful privilege of leading this church with a great bunch of people. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians this morning. And before we do that, I just wanted to kind of remind you of something. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I kind of talked a little bit as an introduction around what preaching is, why, why I value preaching, why we value preaching in this church. And what I would like to say to you this morning is just something of the motivation of why I preach, why I've given myself to study and to learn God's Word as best as I can. And I have a little uh, thing on my phone, which is my kind of little motto, my reminder. Every time I open my phone, I see this. It's, 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 it's um, a quote from Colossians, and it says this, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And that really is my goal in all that I do. Whenever I preach, I'm trying to help us all to see that obedience comes from the heart. And it's an inside-out thing. And whenever I teach and I preach, I hope that that's what you're getting, that this is a thing that happens on the inside. It's not an instruction that happens from down on high. It's something that God does in your life. And as you begin to understand His Word more and more, it transforms everything from the inside, how you live, what motivates you, what you aim at. Everything is transformed by the preaching of God's Word. As we worship over the Word together and unpack it and understand it, the Holy Spirit brings revelation to us and we start to live differently. And so I hope that if you've been in this church over many years, that uh, we've gone through the book of James, Practical Christian Living. We've gone through the book of Galatians, What Does It Mean to Be Free in Christ? How do we live in a way, a free, a way that's not legalistic? So if someone comes to you with a question, I hope that if you've been in this church for a while and someone says, you know, you Christians are all legalistic and you just live by rules, you can, out of what we've studied, you can go to the book of Galatians yourself and you can say, well, let me help you understand what the Christian faith really is. Or if uh, we've studied the book of Colossians together, if someone comes to you and says, oh, Jesus is one of many gods, you know, just one of many options that you have, I hope that out of what we studied out of, Col of uh, Colossians, you would be able to take that and say, well, let me help you understand who Jesus really is and what the Bible says about Jesus. And now in Philippians, we're talking about joyful Christian living, aren't we? That's the big theme. How can we live joyfully in the midst of lives that are have incredible pressures from every side. And I hope that as you go through this, you are finding some nuggets for yourself that will help you to live joyfully, consistently, not over just in a short period of time, but over many, many, many years. You can look back on your life and say, I have lived a joyful life. Amen? So that's what we're trying to do. And so having said that, we're going to look at uh, the second half of chapter two, and we kind of Aren't you relieved we're getting to the end of chapter 2? Because <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to chapter 3, because some good things in chapter 3. But here, at the end of chapter 2, is the kind of Paul is bringing to conclusion these things about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to look specifically at Epaphroditus uh, this morning. And uh, I think it's crucial for us to understand something about who Epaphroditus was so that we can understand what Christian ministry is and that all of us can understand that we all get to play and that we are all ministers of Jesus. Every single one of us here is a minister. 
And we're going to see that this morning from the life of Epaphroditus. And here's what, this is what it says in chapter 2, verse 25. Please ignore the disco lights, all right? We'll get them sorted out by next week. But for now, I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you, for he is my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me in my need. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you, and he was so distressed because you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died. But God showed mercy to him, and not only to him, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you can rejoice, and I can be set free from anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Very interesting portion, talking about this guy, Epaphroditus. And do you notice that Paul puts him side by side with Timothy? Uh, in these verses, and it's important to understand why he mentions Paul and uh, mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus together. But just as by way of introduction, let me just point out a couple of very basic things. Unlike Timothy, Epaphroditus is not very known in the New Testament. In fact, he's only mentioned in this book, in Philippians. He's mentioned twice in chapter two and, and chapter four. Uh, on the other hand, Timothy is much more well-known. So if you read the New Testament, he's, he's mentioned 24 times in the New Testament in a number of letters. But despite that, Paul gives them both equal prominence. Do you notice that? He doesn't elevate one who's much more well-known above the other. He, more, he mentions Paul and Epaph, uh, mentions Epaphroditus and Timothy together. And in fact, if, if you look at this portion, he actually commends Epaphroditus more than he does Timothy. He mentions him in much more detail. The second thing I'd like you to notice is that Epaphroditus, his ministry is very different from that of Timothy. And that's very important for us to understand. There have been people in the past, like uh, people like John Calvin, for example, <laughs> who, um, who have put Epaphroditus, yeah, I can do that thing, eh? <laughs> Um, who've put uh, Epaphroditus, his ministry, ex and said it's exactly the same, much like that of Paul or Timothy, that they're all kind of doing the same thing. That's what Calvin thought. But actually, if we look at the, the portion carefully, we can see that's not actually true. I don't believe that's true at all. Uh, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church with a gift, with a financial gift for Paul, and that's what he was primary um, purpose that he was given to do, and to help Paul while he was in prison. Now, you don't need a preacher to do that. You need a faithful man. You need someone with impe impeccable character to handle money so that the same amount of money that you've given reaches the people that you wanted to bless. All right? So we know this about Epaphroditus. He's a man of great character, not necessarily a preacher, but a man that could be trusted with money, and he was they could be sure they would get to the other side. And so Paul actually describes Epaphroditus as the greatest gift that I could give you is this person, Epaphroditus. So his ministry seems to be much more practical, doesn't seem to be a preacher, doesn't seem to be an apostle like Paul was, like Timothy was. 
Um, and we can see that very practically because we, we, are, we are told that Epaphroditus w- remained with Paul so that he could minister to his needs. He was like a Batman. You know, in the Second World War, the officers had Batman, Bat- Batman, Batman. There were, there were junior, junior guys that would serve the needs of the officer. They would polish his shoes. They'd get him his meals. They'd do the whole thing. Well, it seems to me like Epaphroditus was a bit of a Batman to Paul. He was there to serve practically. He was there because Paul was in prison and couldn't feed himself, so he needed food. Paul was in prison and he couldn't get his letters out, and he needed someone to take his letters out to the churches. And Epaphroditus, that was his job. It was very practical. It was very, um, in that sense, unlike the ministry of Timothy and Paul. Very practical way that he served Paul while he was in prison. And so... Both these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are serving with Paul at the same time, but their ministries look very different. Timothy, the protege, Timothy, the preacher, the young man who we know is sent by Paul on his behalf to other churches to encourage them, to set doctrine right. And Paul says things like uh, to to, to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young, Tim, my friend. You, you, God's called you just because you're young. Don't let people look down on you. Preach faithfully. Preach the word in and out of season. That's the mandate that Timothy has. What's the mandate that Epaphroditus has? Much more practical. Go with your hands and serve the, me, Paul says. That's what, that, that's what he's doing. And so very, very different kind of ministries. And yet, Paul doesn't elevate one above the other. Do you notice that? Man, that's so important for us. And so there's a sense that Paul says Epaphroditus is the personal minister while Timothy is the preacher. Do you notice this? This is what I want you to notice. If you look at verse 30, Paul speaks of the ministry of Epaphroditus and says of his ministry that he is participating in the work of Christ. Do you notice that? Paul's saying, as you serve me, as you help me in prison, as you bring me food, as you take the letters that I've written to encourage other churches, you are participating, Epaphroditus, in the ministry, in the work of Christ in the world. That's a very, very important thing that I want you to understand this morning. And it's based, really, Paul is quoting Matthew. He's quoting what Jesus said. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew? He said this in chapter 10. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person in the name of the righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives only a cup of cold water to any one of these little ones in my name, I tell you the truth, he will not lose his reward. That's what Paul is quoting. So I, I want to say to you this morning, whether Paul, it is Paul, whether it's Timothy, whether it's Epaphroditus, whether it's you, or whether it's me, everyone, every single one of us as believers that fulfills the calling that Jesus has given us, and we faithfully do that over the course of our lives, we have fellowship in, we have uh, an, an inheritance and a reward in the work of Jesus. 
whether our ministry is very practical or whether our ministry is vocal and public. Whatever we do for the name of Jesus, in whatever area we're doing it, while we do that thing, we are participating in the ministry of Christ. That should deeply encourage you. Whether you are a teacher, whether you are a carpenter, whether you sell insurance, whether you are a nurse, whether you are a photographer, whether you work in IT, if you are doing that thing, serving Christ, participating in that thing with Him, you are doing something of the work of the ministry. Jesus says, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you are participating in my ministry to people. What an incredible thing. Let that encourage you, whatever you do. And so, in the spiritual gifts, he's saying in that uh, thing, in Matthew 10, if we show hospitality to, to, to someone who's got a prophetic gift, we are participating in that ministry. We're enjoying that ministry. We're having something of the reward of that ministry. As Epaphroditus was participating in Paul's ministry, how did he do that? He did that by serving Paul in a very practical way. And he was integral, Paul says, therefore an integral part of the work of Christ to bless the nations and to bless those churches. And so this is what I would love for us to understand this morning as we look at this together. The fourth thing is that when Paul speaks of Epaphroditus' ministry in the highest terms, he really is honoring this man. He refuses, as he honors the one man, he refuses to distinguish between the ministry of Timothy and the ministry of himself and the ministry of Epaphroditus. Do you notice that? It is so important. I want to be completely blunt here, not to offend anyone, but so that you can really, really understand what I'm trying to say uh, in terms of our culture and our context. Paul makes no distinction between Timothy and the ministry of Timothy as first-class ministry and the ministry of Epaphroditus as second-class ministry. Do you notice that? No distinction. One, the preacher, the other one very practical. And what does he say? He says, I don't distinguish in importance between those two. They were equally important in the kingdom. And I say that to you because I hear this all the time. You know, the clergy, the clergy are the important ones, aren't they? The ones that have got the full-time ministry. They're the important ones. Or we speak of significant gifts in the church. You know, and what are we talking about? We're talking about people with a speaking gift. Now, those, are the, those are the important ones. And actually, the practical stuff that happens, you know, the serving of the coffee and all that, that's not really spiritual. That's kind of like just, that's sort of insignificant, really, isn't it? The hosting, that's, that's not as important as the preaching or the, or, or the worship leading. Well, I, I don't think that Paul makes any such distinction. In fact, if you read the book of, of Corinthians, he talks about that as evil distinctions in the church. He doesn't talk about that positively in any way. And I'll quote, just in case you don't believe me, 2 Corinthians verse 10 says this, We would not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who recommend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves, they compare themselves with themselves and they are without understanding. Paul is saying to this Corinthian church that was a very gifted church, full of spiritual gifts, they had started to distinguish in the church and say, actually, one kind of gift is more important than the other. In fact, Paul has to say, I want to bring order to your meetings because you're all competing. Everyone's saying, wow, because they were showing off with their gifts. 
They all wanted to prophesy and speak in tongues to show who was the most gifted, who was the most important. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's a body. The church is a body. We all need each other. It's all of equal value. It all works together. And don't elevate one gift above the other. Don't say one is more important. No, the eyes as important as the toes, as important as the elbow. And we all need to work together. This is the body of Christ. And we celebrate every gift. In fact, they were comparing Paul. You know, I'm convinced Paul wasn't a cool guy. I think if we met Paul today, we would not be impressed. He was a, not a good-looking man. He couldn't see. I imagine he was a short little guy with a big mind and not a very good personal kind of... He's not one of the cool guys. He wouldn't be on, he wouldn't be on uh, the television as one of the really cool young hip pastors with tattoos. And Paul's not that at all. Paul is not that. In fact, I know that because he, he, that some of the people in Corinthian church, they were comparing Paul and his manner and his preaching and his message with others that they said were much better, much more eloquent, much more cool, much more funky, much more with it, communicating in the, how the culture needs to be understood, the kind, of, the kind of philosophical guys in his culture. They were cool ones. They were the good communicators. And the Corinthians are saying, we don't like you, Paul. You're too plain. You're boring. Give us some stuff like those cool guys give us to really entertain us and to intellectually prick our so we can be interested. Paul was not a cool guy. And he compares, that, and it says in 1 Corinthians 1.10 that actually they are saying there's much more charming, much more better communicators than you, Paul. Get out of the way. And Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians, he says, these people are false apostles. They're not true apostles. Why? Because the Corinthians were making these, distinguishing these in these gifts in the church in a very worldly, ungodly way. And Paul is saying, no, it's not how the church works. There's no hierarchy. There's no one gift that's more important than the other. We are all the body of Christ. And when he speaks of Timothy and Epaphroditus, he doesn't elevate one above the other. I'm trying to encourage you this morning, whether you feel like you've got a tiny little gift, your tiny little gift is as important as what I do for this church to function properly. Do you get it? Amen. What Rachel does with the kids upstairs is vital for this church to function properly. What you do at the door when you welcome someone with a smile is as important to make them feel welcome as what I do with the gift that I have to, to, to preach the Word of God. Are you with me, people? This is the church this is how the church works. This is a community of believers. And so the Corinthians, they were making this, this, this um, distinction that the vocal, visible gifts they saw said were more important and more valued and more spiritual. And Paul says, no, you are wrong. What you do, even if you offer a cup of water, it's a deeply spiritual thing, and you participate in the ministry of Christ as you do that. And so, although Timothy and Epaphroditus are very different men with very different ministries, they are both vital and valuable to the body of Christ. And so are you, vital and valuable, and so am I. And as we just do what God has called us to do, we actively are involved in the work of Christ in the world. And that's why Paul doesn't elevate one above the other. And then, 
How long have I been going? I've gone another 15 minutes. Let me, let me just point you to a couple of other things in the second half of those verses. In verse, chapter five, um, verse 25. Do you notice that Paul speaks of the value of Epaphroditus' ministry in a number of ways? He says, first of all, Epaphroditus is your messenger. Verse 25. You know this, notice that word? He's your messenger. And uh, the word there, messenger, is apostolos. It's the word that's used for apostle, someone who is sent as a messenger. And that's often rendered as apostle in the New Testament. But it's obvious, as I've tried to point out to you, that Epaphroditus is not the same uh, as an uh, apostle is not used of Epaphroditus in the same way as it's used of Paul. But it seems to me that as Paul is trying to honor this man, he chooses the most honorable word that he can find. He says, this is a wonderful man, Epaphroditus. He's a deeply spiritual man, and Paul is trying to find the highest accolades that he has to describe this man and to honor him. Secondly, also in verse 25, do you notice he says, Epaphroditus' work is a service to you. He uses the, the word, your servant. And uh, I pointed this out to you last, last time, that uh, the, uh, when Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, the drink offering was a second offering that the Old Testament priests offered up after the main offering had been uh, offered up for forgiveness of sin or whatever it was. And so... Paul is saying it's uh, Epaphroditus, his, his life is, is, is an act of service that is poured out. And because he's made this Old Testament comparison already, we know that he is saying that actually what Epaphroditus is doing in this very practical way is deeply spiritual, it's deeply meaningful, and it's absolutely essential in the life of the church. That's what he's saying. He's honoring this practical work of Epaphroditus in the highest possible way that he can. And so that's why he speaks of him as a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. He's speaking about Epaphroditus, this very practical guy who doesn't even preach. He's speaking him of him as his equal. Co-laborer, my brother, we are together and we are serving God with each other. I am not above you, Paul is saying. I am alongside you, my brother. I am with you. You are my co-laborer, my co-worker. I find that incredibly encouraging. He's not saying these people, you know, Sky Epaphroditus, he just does all the practical stuff. He's subordinate to me. No, he's saying he's my equal. He's a co-laborer. He's my brother, my fellow soldier. And uh, there are times that Paul finds it necessary to lay claim to his authority as an apostle, and you, as you read the New Testament, uh, you will see that. But he doesn't have to do that with the Philippians. He speaks of Epaphroditus as his brother. And so he's making this point that uh, they are equal in every way as they serve the Lord together. And then do you notice also, point number six, that um, Paul's preparing... And saying, when you welcome back Epaphroditus, give him a hero's welcome. You notice that? Uh, he's trying to paint the return of Epaphroditus in the most positive way that he can. Uh, he's, he's saying he's done a good thing. Epaphroditus has got, done a good thing. Welcome him back with a hero's welcome. Uh, we know that he had been taken, sent with this gift. We know that he'd become ill. We know that it had greatly distressed him. And so he had almost died, and even though that was his circumstance, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to be faithful, and he wanted to serve Paul. And now Paul is sending him back, and he's saying to the, the Philippian church, welcome him back like a hero. He's done a great thing, even though he got sick. 
he's done a, a wonderful service for me, and I want you to rejoice and, and uh, to welcome him back with open, open arms so that he could tell them of Paul's love for them. And I, I want to just kind of try and help us understand a little bit as, you know, if, if someone was of a lesser stature than Paul, say a leader who was insecure, say a leader who had to constantly remind other people of his position, uh, say a leader who was constantly saying, I've got the power and you all just follow, a kind of petty sort of fellow uh, who found it impossible to praise other people and say, well done, this is a team effort, you've done a great job, we've done a great job together. If, if I, I want to paint a little scenario. Perhaps this is how they would have written back to the Philippian church. Okay, Not someone like Paul. Paul, who was a humble man, who didn't need to be told that he was the main guy. All right? So, so say this petty fellow writes back like this. This is just obviously my little take on it. From Paul. The esteemed apostle of God's choice. To all those under my charge in Philippi. As you know, missionary work is very demanding. And only the strong in heart can endure under conditions like I am presently experiencing in prison. Unfortunately, Paphroditus is not a strong man physically. His trip to Rome with your generous gift was too much for him and he almost succumbed to his illness. It was fortunate that I was able to nurse him back to health. Also, Paphroditus is not a strong fellow in his spirit he couldn't hold up under the stress of the situation, and so he became so homesick that I had to send him home. There's a little help to me here. So I sent him home, sent him to you, so he can serve as a warning to you not to be faint of heart and to be strong in the Lord. Paul's not like that, is he? He recognizes that all of us yet have moments of discouragement. We feel homesick. We feel, don't know what, quite how to handle the situation. And yet in this magnanimous way, he says, when Epaphroditus comes back to you, I want you to welcome him like a hero who has done a good thing for the kingdom. And so he does say that Epaphroditus should be an example for us to follow. Um, and he says this kind of, person that the Philippian church should honor and whose leadership they should follow. And so I want to say to you that church leadership is not always necessarily about those that are the most charismatic, the most gifted, the most successful. No. When Paul speaks of church leadership, what does he say? He says, I want you to follow people that are like Jesus, that are humble, that have your best interests at heart, that are faithfully carrying out what God has called them to do and willing to lay their lives down for you and for the sake of the gospel. Those are the people that you follow. And we're going to contrast some of those people in chapter 3, where Paul says there are a whole bunch of people that work in the flesh rather than in the, in, in the spirit, and they are not kind of people that we should be following. And so to conclude this little section, 
I want us to just glean a couple of things that I think summarize the last two uh, Sundays that I've tried to paint this picture of Timothy and Epaphroditus. It seems to me, first of all, that these verses imply that while it certainly is good for us to send money to those that are in the mission field, it's also vital and it's most encouraging and it's most beneficial for us to send people like Epaphroditus, like Timothy. We send our best gifts that we can to bless other churches and to bless other nations and to bless other people. We send people. And money is good, but the best kind of gift are the ones that can bless and sow and be there and encourage and stand with. That is what I think this implies in an un, uh, obvious way. And Paul says that. He says, I'm sending these guys to you, and they are the very best gift that I have to send to you. Do you notice that in a very practical way, both Timothy and Epaphroditus are shown to be good men? And Paul, he, he points that out in also, not in a, just a general sense, but in a very particular way. And the context we know from the beginning of chapter 2, we said this last week, is humility. That's the context. They are examples of the very thing that Paul has been saying, I want you to be like. I want you to be someone that considers other people, that doesn't only go after your own interests. Remember, beginning of chapter 2, and here he's saying these guys are good men because they are an example of what I've been trying to say to you. Look at the Epaphroditus, look at Timothy, and you can see exactly what I'm speaking about. And so we saw last week that of all the people that he could send, Timothy was a humble guy, and he had no one else like him. He wasn't self-seeking like some of the other people in that church. Epaphroditus, too, is a humble man, and he was content to perform services that seemed quite menial on Paul's behalf, and as he did that, he was participating in the ministry of Christ through Paul. And he was content to do that as long as, as he was needed in Rome. And that's a very, very good man of integrity. But there's a third good man that I want to just point you to, and that is Paul. And as I thought about this, I've just thought, what an amazing man Paul is. Can I put it to you like this? How many other church leaders do you know that have Paul's position, that would have had, or equivalent of what Paul's position was then? How many of them do you know in our context, in our modern world right now, that work really hard at commending and encouraging others? Paul was incredible. He spent all of his time commending other people, encouraging other people, preparing the way for other people. How many people do you know in business or in church who treat those that work with them, even those that perform the most menial tasks, even those that clean the windows? How many of you know people in business or in the church that really treat people as equals, as colleagues? Or do we have this thing of, oh, well, I'm kind of like, I'm a cut above those guys. I don't do that stuff. Paul never treated people in the church like that. Co-laborers, co-soldiers. My friends, I want to encourage you this morning, whether you greet someone, whether you offer someone a cup of coffee, what you do in the name of Christ is as valuable as what anyone else does. And I want you to see it like that because that's how the Bible sees it. 
How many, how many Christian leaders do you know that, as we've seen in the life of Paul, are willing to send those that are needed, they need, to be a blessing to others? How many Christian leaders do you know that? No, everyone is building their own empire. Everyone's building their, I want my church to be the biggest and the best and the best worship, so I won't send my good guys. No, I'll, you know, I'll send the ones I don't need, but my good guys, I'll keep my good guys for myself. Paul was not like that. He sent his best gifts. He was willing to go without so that other people could prosper, other churches could be blessed, other churches could be built up. Come on, guys, I would love this church to be known as a church that is prepared to do without so we can send people and be a blessing and send the best people that we have to do the best job to be a blessing to other churches. It's the same kind of spirit that prompts Christian parents to release their children to serve God in the most remote places of the world. When they long for their children to be with them, say, no, you can go. Same heart that Paul has. And so I want to say to you that what Paul is aiming at in this portion should be very helpful to you and I and instructive to you and I as to what we aim at when we speak about Christian ministry. You see, you don't have to be in full-time Christian ministry to make a significant contribution to Christ's work. There are certain people that are more vocal and more visible. And there are also people that God raises up to be, have a supportive ministry, men and women, who facilitate the ministry of the gospel in ways that are unseen, but they are absolutely vital. So, uh, in conclusion, I hope that this message over the last couple of weeks has encouraged you in your ministry, whatever your ministry is. And if you have a public, visible ministry, I hope that the humility of Paul will be seen in you. I hope so. I hope too that you would value the relationship that you have with other people who support you in your ministry. And if you have a less visible ministry, I hope that Paul's words will give you great courage and encouragement as you work for Jesus, whatever you're doing. Whether people see it or not, doesn't matter. Jesus sees what you do in his name. And if you don't really think that you have a ministry, I hope that this message will encourage you to seek one and to say, Jesus, what would you have me do while I'm here on this planet? What do you want me to give my time to and my effort to? And I want to put it to you this morning that ministry is not hard to find if you are willing to be a facilitator of ministry, just like these men were, like Epaphroditus was. I think it should be, incidentally, I probably should mention that Paul himself began his ministry as a supporter, as a facilitator. Do you remember? In his early ministry, he was the one that was accompanied Barnabas, who in the early church was clearly the leader. And Paul was the facilitator of his ministry. Paul is the one that supported him in the early days of Barnabas. Remember, Acts 11, Paul was once very much like Epaphroditus when he took a gift from the Gentile churches to the brothers in Judea. He also took a financial gift. He facilitated that ministry himself. And I would say that perhaps most people in the Bible, most people, that God has elevated to, to places of leadership in the, in the church, started their ministries like Epaphroditus did. Why do I say that? Well, I can point you to a number of examples. Think of Joshua, who served under Moses. Think of Elisha, 
What does it say of him? 2 Kings 3. He washed the hands of Elijah. Very practical. Now, what do you need? Okay, I'll do it. Wash your hands? Fine. Cook your food? Fine. He facilitated the ministry of another man. And so this is the, this is the heart of the Christian gospel, isn't it? That as we learn to lead, we have to first be fit for service by a heart that says, I'm willing to do whatever is needed. Humble service, Matthew 20. And lastly, I want to, if there's someone here, perhaps this morning, who's heard from this message that they need to work really hard for God to earn His favor, I want to say this to you. I'll say something about that in the next couple of weeks. But let me, for now, simply say this, that Christian ministry, all Christian ministry, is something that flows out of a personal relationship with Jesus by faith. That's it. It's not something we do to earn God's favor. It's something we do because we love Him. Because He is our very great reward. And when no one else sees it, we still do it because we're not looking for other people's approval. We are looking for the well done of our Father in heaven one day who will say, well done, Ken, good and faithful servant. That's what we live for. And so, Christian ministry is done out of obedience to His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a great privilege and a blessing to participate in ministry together with Christ, whether you are Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, or whatever your gift is. And so, I marvel always at Paul, that he so trusted these guys that he was working with, that he sent them to other churches to check on their welfare, to judge how the church was doing, and to return back to him with a report. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 7 says that quite clearly. And Paul must have so trusted these guys to fully rely on their assessment of how the churches were doing. And so if you hear anything this morning, I want you to hear this, that this word with is so important. That's what Paul is saying. I serve with these men. I serve together with these men. I serve alongside these men. We have different gifts, but we're in it together. Whether it's a preaching gift, whether it's an apostolic gift, whether it's a prophetic gift, whether it's a gift of compassion, whether it's a gift of service, we are all in it together and we serve together, not in a hierarchy, but alongside each other as brothers. And what happens? The work of Christ is glorified. The work of Christ enlarges. The ministry of Jesus, we participate in that ministry, and the kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. This is good news, because it means whatever gift you have, you can use it for the kingdom of God, and as you do that, you participate in the ministry of Jesus to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Amen. So I want to encourage you, Timothy is never referred to as an understudy. Remember that? You know, you know um, uh, people that are in the performing arts, what happens? You have the, the guy that gets the part, isn't it? In the theater or in a musical, you get the part, the guy who is the main guy. He gets the part, and then you have an understudy. And what does the understudy do? <laughs> Practices like mad, does all the stuff, learns all the lines, and hopes well, it doesn't I suppose you're not supposed to hope, but occasionally the main guy gets the main guy gets ill or can't perform, and then what happens? The understudy fills in. Do you notice Paul never speaks of anyone like that? They're not the understudies. 
that do all the work and prepare and prepare and prepare and only occasionally get a chance to do the ministry. No, we are co-laborers. We are co-workers. We work it out together. Whatever your gift is, whatever my gift is, so the kingdom of God can come. Amen. Let's pray. God, I want to bless you for the marvelous, marvelous church. Thank you, God, so much for your church. Thank you for good men. Thank you for examples of, of humble servants like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. Thank you in this church. I could, I could name many people that have that same attitude. Thank you, Lord, for these gifts that you give to your church. And God, we just ask that you'd help us to work it out as equals, that we're all equals before the cross, that we wouldn't compare our gifts to other people. We wouldn't uh, be jealous of other gifts, but we would rejoice in what you've given us and that we would faithfully give that away. And as we do that, we participate in the ministry of Christ. Help us, Jesus, to joyfully serve with uh, all the energy that labors in us, the resurrected power of Christ in us, that we might make a, a difference for your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray, Lord, that over the course of this year, uh, you, you would multiply the gifts in this church, that you would show us all what our gift is and how we can use that for your kingdom, and that we would rejoice as we do that, knowing that you have an amazing inheritance and reward for every single one that faithfully does the work that you've called us to do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen.